0: So
1: This is Mark cabrera Lemke, Chicago Blackhawks fan. This podcast is part of the Batman U- Universe Podcast Network. I uh, help support the Batman Universe by heading to patreon.com slash thebatmanuniverse and take the TBU feedback survey at surveymonkey.com slash r slash feedback. Is that everything, Tim? Did I get, did I get everything right? I okay, think you got good, it. Good, good. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Was it? the smoothest that it's been in the past well it's I
2: mean, been a maybe. while
1: I mean it, I think it's been like a month since I've done that
2: that's true I know I posted know yeah. the last one but I know if I did the two in a row so yeah yeah, way, yeah. it's been a
1: while um, anyway can you believe it Tim the A's are in second place in the AL West
2: me. I think the question is, can you believe it? <laughs> After all the doom and gloom that we've been talking about on the last few episodes. <laughs> they have
1: won four in a row as of uh, right now, Saturday. Um, and it looks like if they hold on to this 4-2 lead in um, oh, at at Oakland, at home um, in the fifth, that they will they will win, Tim, five in a row. <laughs> wow. <laughs>
2: I bet you didn't think they'd ever win three in a Not row. Not really. This
1: season, but uh, <laughs> you know, I was looking at their their uh, their lineup recently and um, besides maybe Rajay Davis, uh, Manea, Han. And I guess I guess uh, Gray, Sonny Gray, even though he's mm. I think he's still in the minors right now. Yeah. With DL. <laughs> He's getting some rehab starts. So, um, be, besides those people, I don't, I, I don't know who these other people are. I mean, it, 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 they must be on like one, one year contracts. Um, probably going to be career minor leaguers. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I don't. But
2: hey, as long as they're contributing right now, and you get more familiar with them, so maybe they won't be that will become players you do know about if the holds up for the course yeah you know,
1: it seems like it I mean it seems like they they actually have some kind of chemistry uh, this year rather than you know like last year where they they were immediately at the bottom of the the division <laughs> yeah <laughs> they they just kind of stayed there um I mean I guess well, I think go ahead. I was just
2: going to say we're both, like, we should be happy with our teams right now because the Yankees have gotten off to a much better start than I thought oh, they yeah? would do. I, mean, I think they're in second place. They're 10-6 right six. Now. Wow. So, 10 and 10-6, wow. Hmm.
1: Well, I mean, they, they should be 10-6. and six. They, I mean, they they should be, like, I don't know. They, they should be number one in their division, mm-hmm. I think.
2: No, they should have. The Red Sox, so what their yeah. pitching staff is and their lineup, and then uh, the Orioles—they've uh, been consistent the last few years and they haven't made too many changes. So uh, I was expecting them to be like third or fourth with the Blue Jays. But the Blue Jays have been yeah. awful. <laughs> They're like wow. three and twelve or something like that. So with the Yankees pitching, you just didn't know what you were going to get. So far, they've all been pretty good for the most part, and the young players have been contributing in a big way. A lot of their young hitters. So
1: well, they just nice. not hitting.
2: No, they are hitting. That's the thing. Uh, no, not
1: no, the the uh, Blue Jays. Blue Jays. Sorry. Yeah. Oh, oh. No,
2: everything. They're not hitting. They're not <laughs> pitching. <laughs> it's like every, anything that could go wrong for a team, it's going wrong for them. Which is fine by me.
1: Yeah, and I'm looking at um, the the roster right now, and I guess the only other people that would know is uh, Doolittle, of course, because I think he's the it, it's it's either him or vote is the uh the longest tenured a at this point <laughs> <It's> <laughs> um not like four years yeah or something like that <laughs> uh graveman uh but he's hurt i think uh oh chris davis adam rosales who i think he was with the a's and then he went to the we went to the Rangers and then back to the A's, back to the Rangers. Uh, <laughs> oh wow! Um, Yonder Alonso. Um,
2: yeah, I, I figure I know most of the players on teams, but those Oakland players, some of them are yeah. not sounding familiar. So, I yeah, don't like know what you mean?
1: What do you say like like who's uh, who's Jeff Decker? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or uh, Ryan Huey. Yeah, another one, nope. <laughs> Cesar Valdez. <laughs> Valdez. Uh, nope. Pitcher. Um, uh, Frankie Montes. <laughs> nope. <laughs>
2: so, the, they have the chance to become household names if they keep this up. Oh,
1: and you know what I totally forgot about? Uh, the A's still have John Axford. Yeah, relief. Oh, Shred. really? He's a relief pitcher, right? Yeah. Yeah. I was gonna say it's either a closer or that's uh, no I think it's more of a um whoever's whoever uh uh you know bull, is bull, bullpen Yeah, D, yeah, D, closer D, D. by committee, yeah. That never <laughs> turns out right <laughs> he went about the
2: course of a whole season, so so hopefully someone could you know take that role and run with it and become the
1: What about player. uh Matt Joyce, outfielder? You've heard of him? Yeah. yeah. I know who he is I think he's on the uh, Matt board. Olson. Uh, no. <laughs> you, you have to know who Jacob Brugman is. Him. <laughs> yeah, I,
2: mean, I think I remember a name like that. Let's but... <laughs>
1: see who he, who he was with. Um, uh, nobody. I think they actually drafted him. Oh no, no, he's a he's a Yankees draftee. Yeah. What? <laughs>
2: Obviously, he did it an optimizer
1: uh, Well, he was <laughs> taking him in the 39th round of the 2010 MLB draft. He did not sign. Instead, it are only at uh, BYU to play college ah. uh, baseball. Oh, no. Oh, yeah, and the Athletics not- selected him in the 17th round in the 2013 uh, ML- MLB draft.
2: So I don't get sometimes when players like... They get drafted, but they don't sign. They want to go to college. Yeah. For me, I would just like yeah, I'm drafted by a major league team. I want to get this going, <laughs> go to sign, get to the minors, and all
1: that stuff. Yeah, but career, if you but... think about it, I mean, you're so far away um, from the player that you're going to be, and it's better to get experience um, when no, where nobody's looking. You know, I mean, nobody's looking at, yeah. um, you know, Division Two baseball. You know. So mm-hmm.
2: part of me just thinks like you're be wasting like three or four good years of like, you could have you having it as a young player if you're really good. I know it's kind of a rare talent talent to be that good, that young. But, yeah. So you never know that could be a few years that could
1: have been up in the big. And plus too, I mean, if you, if you look at, uh, you know uh, this guy, Jacob Brugman, um, he was selected in the 39th round. So that is kind of low. And then, yeah, yeah. highest expectations. <laughs> yeah. And then he went to college, and then he got dra- drafted in the 17th round. So it's a little better.
0: Yeah, that's
1: true. yeah, and and plus too, like uh, you know where they're going to send you, right? They're going to send you to single A uh, rookie league uh, baseball, and you you have to go from that to you know double A to triple A, and hopefully to the majors. Yeah, we yeah. being hopefully. <laughs> uh,
2: it ain't easy, that's for sure.
1: Oh, but anyway, that's enough about the uh, unknown people <laughs> on the uh, <laughs>
2: <laughs> the unknown players of the Oakland
1: a- <laughs> You know what? I think we have a rating unknown this, players so. from the Oakland A's. <laughs> the Oakland A's. <laughs> <laughs> Do they even have one, or is that just sort of a um, what do you call it, Tim? <laughs>
2: Like their minor league team is <laughs> major league team type um, thing.
1: Anyway, that's enough of unknown players from the Oakland A's uh, minor league system and major league uh, 40-man roster. Um, so I guess we can get to our Dark, dark Hand ris- Rises minute-by-minute minute commentary, Tim. All right, so just grab your HD DVD, grab your laser disc, grab your projector, grab your VHS tape, DVD, um your Blockbuster rental, your hey, There you go. <laughs> I almost forgot. It. <laughs> um your uh Netflix DVD subscription, not your uh <laughs> you know, everybody has the digital one now. That you know, you can watch it on your computer and stuff. Not that one, the one where an actual disc comes in or comes to you, and then you have to return it. No, uh, that <laughs> that, <laughs> that subscription. Um, so yeah, just cue it to the eighty-first minute, and I'm gonna give the countdown. So Tim, are you ready? I'm ready. All right, three, two, one, hit play.
2: we are back in the underground of Wayne Enterprises with all the tumblers. remember seeing all those early set video photos of all those different tumblers and I was just wondering oh man, like, why are all we seeing all these different tumblers here? How <laughs> like, are they going to be using the movie? Now, everyone has a diversity cord and uh, Blake uh, they're talking about, uh, so Gord is telling to send every cop down there to smoke him out. Yeah. And I know everyone had the problem. I think that's one of the complaints about me, where why would they send all their cops down there just to have them trapped later on? You know, so it's like a story plot point to have Bane be able to rule the city without that much opposition. But and you know, when you know where someone's at, you know, as deadly as Bane can be and the men that he had, you would want to send as much as the police force. Yeah, but not
1: the entire police force, you, yeah, can, police force, you know.
2: It wasn't all of it. There were a few who were still remained. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that's, <laughs> a, that's my little point about all <laughs> this commentary. Well, John, story idea. John, John didn't Blake didn't go.
1: I mean, he did, but kind of got it, so. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he didn't get dropped. <laughs> uh, but anyway, that's our Dark Knight, Dark Knight Rises minute by minute commentary. We're still looking for Batman. It's going to be a long time before we see Batman again.
2: Oh yes.
1: uh, <laughs> we'll be seeing Bruce in a cell for a lot but no bet and uh, now Tim I am very very interested in our future topic for this episode because of what you've told me so far about uh, this movie that we are going to be reviewing
2: yeah so future topic is going to be my review for Teen Titans The Judas Contract and the reason why Dane is so interested is because he told me it's he a- purchased it but hasn't had time to watch it yet. Yeah. So <laughs> And
1: maybe I should have maybe this is the one instance where I should have listened to your review first before I mm. before I bought it.
2: <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> So to set the stage a little bit. I mean, as you heard me say on this podcast before, I was really excited for the Teen Titans that Judas Contract. For one thing, it's been 10 years in the making. (laughs) Like I said before, this was the second movie announced back in 2007 when Warner Brothers and DC announced they're going to be doing their uh, animated DVD movies. First up was uh, Superman Doomsday, then it was a Teen Titans Judas contract, and you've never heard from it since. (laughs) And now we finally got it. And I I should say also, too, that I haven't read the original comic. I know it's like one of the greatest comics ever, especially in DC's history and for the Teen Titans especially. So I know it's one of the great ones out there. And I think I'm going to go back and... or not go back, but read it for the first time. Maybe even today after we're done recording. I'll get into the reasons why. But so I knew the basic story of the Judas Contract. Uh, oh, by the way, spoilers. Uh, before I get fully into it, I'm going to go into everything that oh, I wanted to talk about in this movie for the review. So there will be spoilers of some of the main events that happen in it. But... So I knew the basic story from the original comic where, you know, it's focused on Deathstroke and there's a member of the Teen Titans named Terra who uh, betrays them and was planted there by Deathstroke all along with just a mole to give him information how to take him out. So I knew all that going in, but the actual, you know, details and certain other plot points that happen in the comic, I wasn't aware of. So I was going into the movie pretty fresh, just knowing the basic idea of the story that for the Judas Contract. So I was excited for it, and I've heard great things about it from people who've seen it already, whether it was at uh, the WonderCon com- premiere or just seeing it digitally first. So I was really excited for it. I've been hearing a lot of people say it's one of their best, but sad to say I was disappointed with it, which pains me to say it because I was so excited for the lead up to it, everyone raving about it. It just didn't click for me for a few reasons. And I think one of the complaints I have for it was that it probably would have been best off if it was, you know, just a direct, not a direct adaption, but taking a lot from the original comic with the char- the character lineup, uh, the designs, well not necessarily designs, well for Nightwing, I didn't like his red outfit, but <laughs> that's not my least complaint about it. But I just think it would have been better if it was his own thing. It wasn't part of the bigger uh, DC animated movie universe that ties in you know, to a lot of the Justice Leagues and the Batman stuff that's been released over the last few years. It's part of that same continuity. And I think that took away a little bit uh, from what could have been a really good story for the movie because the essence of it is there. I know I could see why that comic is so revered through uh, some of the stuff we got in this movie, uh, but there were a few things I think weighted down it, one of it being too many like subplots, little plot threads in there that I felt weren't necessary. You got the whole thing with Nightwing and Starfire talking about uh, moving in together, and then uh, with Blue Beetle trying to you know having some stuff with his parents and not having the best relationship with his father, and wanting to do things to help out where he works out a homeless or volunteers out a homeless shelter. It just I felt stuff like that, little subplots, took away from the main plot, which was this new character or Terra, or the new member of the Titans, who was with the team, and her relationship with Beast Boy. And that was the best part of the movie. Uh, Beast Boy is a standout character. He's so funny. I just love seeing his powers. But uh, the relationship that him and Terra had was the best part. But it kind of got taken away a little bit when it started to focus on stuff with Blue Beetle and a little bit of Nightwing and Starfire. And the other thing I was kind of hoping for was that it would really be, you know, the Deathstroke's, Uh, plan and you know just his story as him as the main villain. It was definitely his plan but he was hired by Hive and Brother Blood was actually the main villain of it. And I know that Hive is part of the original comic and they did hire Deathstroke to uh, take out the Titans but he kind of done it for his own reasons I believe the original comic story was his son. They contracted Deathstroke's son to take out the Titans but he died in the process and Deathstroke felt responsibility to fulfill that contract his son had so he kind of had personal reasons for doing for taking the titans down in the original comic but in the movie you don't really have that it's just like almost like another job for him and if anything a part of him why he wants part of his reason for wanting to take out the titans was to you know kind of get back at damien for what he did in the son of batman movie where Deathstroke wanted to take over the League of Assassins but Damien over, you know, stopped him and all that. And I just never liked that story thread of Deathstroke being part of the League of Assassins and wanted to become the new Ra's ghoul. Ghul. I didn't like it in that movie and I felt it was kind of unnecessary to continue that in this uh, Judas Contract movie. So, yeah, just little things like that that like, held it back from, I think, being really great as far as, you know, introducing this new character to the team and, you know, getting uh, used to her their team dynamic and then having the big reveal that she betrayed them, it didn't have quite the same effect because, one thing, we're just being introduced to her in this movie, whereas in the comics, I believe she was in a, several issues before it was revealed that she was actually a spy at Deathstroke, so didn't have quite, excuse me, it didn't have quite that same impact since we're just meeting her for the first time in this movie. And you kind of knew right, aw- right away there was something off where she didn't fit in with the rest of the group, so it didn't have that same impact I think it could have whether... Uh, it was like done in a TV show or something like that. Or she was in another movie beforehand. Maybe this could have been... If they were doing to do a few Teen Titans movies. Maybe introduce her in one before. And then do Judah's contract next. Where at least we had one movie with her. Where she was just part of the team. And you weren't suspecting anything. So that was a little disappointing. Where that wasn't the main focus. And then I was hoping for at least to get some cool action bits. And while they're not bad. I'll say they're just not very memorable. The I was really looking forward to the fight with Deathstroke and uh, Dick in his apartment. I mean, it was pretty cool, but it went by pretty fast for me. And then the final battle sequence where the Titans are taking on Brother Blood, who got infused with all their powers, and but Nightwing and Robin were taking on Deathstroke. That was pretty cool, but again, it wasn't. I don't know. Nothing stood out to me as being something truly, truly awesome. Kind of like the Red Hood Batman fight we got in under the Red Hood, or Batman taking on. Uh, the talons in uh, Batman versus Robin, so stuff like that that were really memorable, cool fights. I don't, I didn't think this one had it that much, but so yeah, those are kind of my main complaints about it. But the stuff I did like, like I said, Beast Boy, he's a great character. He's always entertaining. And the, the one change I think because I, I before I actually saw the movie, I kind of since I didn't read the comic just yet, I read a little brief synopsis of kind of the main events that had happened in the original comic just to kind of get prepared as far as Certain things that would be changed or not changed, but or I should say I read it after I saw the comics or saw the movie. I kind of did a little reading on it last night. But the thing I felt was better was the way uh, they the character Terra dies in the movie and the reason why, where she felt betrayed by Deathstroke, and where since he didn't bring high the body of Nightwing, even though he said they killed him, they needed another body for that machine, so he just offers them up Terra and she just felt really betrayed about that and, of course, heartbroken, and so that's why she goes after him and fights and ends up killing herself in the process. So I thought that worked pretty good, and I found out that wasn't part of the main story uh, point in the comics, so I felt that was a better change. And the characters of the Titans, they're all good. Like I said, it just felt there was too many subplots in there where the focus should have been centered on terror. It was her team dynamic and a relationship with Beast Boy. So I just felt it could have been... Done or handled a little bit differently to make it more cohesive story and some memorable action scenes. But yeah, so I was disappointed with it. I will say though, um, what did make me want to go and finally read this comic was the special features on the Blu ray because they had some pretty cool ones where they just have Marv Wolfman and George Perez sitting down at a restaurant talking about their time, coming up with the story, uh, how the process went about, and the impact it had on the comic. Dish- Comic industry on their lives. It was just really cool stuff, and you know, how they wanted to plan all this out and how they succeeded in doing what they wanted to do. So, it, that made me more interested in, to go back and read the comic than the movie did. So, my plan is to buy those issues digitally and probably read them after we record this episode because it did get me more intrigued and wanting to read the comics and you know, just find out why it has had such an impact in the comic industry at the time. So, the special features is really cool (laughs) one funny part like was where they were talking about coming up with this whole plot of you know the character terror how they're going to kill her off they're talking about this in the diner but they didn't mention how they were writing a comic they were just talking about killing a like a teenage girl but they didn't have the context and nobody paid them no mind while they're in the comic <laughs> or going over that story in the diner like it said only in new york can you talk about uh killing a teenage girl and no one pays no mind <laughs> it was just funny we're like why come nobody stopped us or uh, said anything to us because we didn't say we were doing a comic but that's what we were doing <laughs> so it was just fun hearing those type of stories as they came up um with this project during that time. So really cool stuff there. And unfortunately the movie I just felt didn't live up to the expectations that I had. So if I were to score it, I would probably give it two and a half out of five. Wow! Like I said, the characters of like beast boy and Terra were the best parts of it. And the action sequence while cool, I just felt weren't very memorable, memorable. And I don't think will go down as one of the better uh, action sequences we've seen in the DC animated movies. So yeah, I was disappointed. When oh it was man, recently. that sucks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, yeah. If you bought it, Dane. It would be a shame just you know let it yeah. sit there. <laughs> so at least get your money's worth and still watch it. I'll be curious to hear what you think about it. Yeah,
1: because I mean, I, I already bought it, so I'm, I might as well, right?
2: <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so I've I heard so much good feedback about it. Like, is that it from WonderCon? And then on Twitter, I know Jordan really yeah. liked it, too. So I was pumped with this. For those reasons, it just didn't click for me like I know it did for yeah. some other people. But I know But kind of was seen after I watched thing, like, am I the only one out there who's feeling like this way? And I've seen some other people on Twitter kind of saying, yeah, it's okay. I didn't see anyone saying yeah. like really bad. It's kind of in the middle. But uh, we did get one response uh, to our Twitter account from uh, John... Uh, who says it was enjoyable for it was i'm not sure how rewatchable it is though and that's kind of what i think i mean i'm not sure how many times i will go back and watch it like i said there weren't too many memorable moments for me so that's and if you know that story that's such a classic story in the comics medium just go back and read the comics so i'm hoping when i go back and read that it'll be you know (laughs) what i was expecting from the movie and just get a sense of why it was such a you know, landmark story in the comic industry back when it was released in the '80s. So, I'm still looking forward to that, at least.
1: <laughs> oh, I should, I should have just waited for your review of it before. Yeah. <laughs> before I bought it, but I, I mean, it was on the front front page of uh, iTunes, so I was like, hey, why not? You know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but
2: yeah, so I know I feel bad for yeah. bagging on it for those who enjoyed it, so. For those who didn't enjoy, it, let me know why I'm wrong.
1: <laughs> um, let's talk about something uh that you do like, Tim, and um that is the uh trailer for the Bill Finger documentary, documentary, uh Batman and Bill.
2: Yeah, I can't <laughs> wait for this. I mean, we talked about it on an episode a while a year, ago, two before, years before ago. We recorded, we're trying yeah. to think it was like a, a year ago, two years ago, <laughs> but Yeah, there's a documentary about Bill Finger. It's going to be on Hulu. I believe it's May 6th, is what the trailer said. But, yeah, it looks really cool. Just, you know, shedding more light on the main, (laughs) the true creator of Batman and all the stuff we love about Batman that came from Bill Finger. So they're going to have interviews with Kevin Smith on there and, you know, Mark Taylor Nobleman, who spearheaded this whole thing of getting Bill Finger the recognition he deserves. So, and I like how, too, it looks like they're going to tell the story of Bill Finger through you know, new animations, of like a comic style that's in the style
1: of almost a Bob Kane. The yeah, the, the, uh, um, uh, the motion comics, comics, I think, they're called. Yeah.
2: Mm, yeah. So that looks pretty cool. You put that in with um, some interviews and some never-before-seen yeah. pictures of Bill Finger and audio stuff because I know I've heard Mark Tyler Nobleman say there's not very many like pictures of Bill <laughs> Yeah,
1: that's, that's there, what I realized so. when I was watching the trailer. It's It's like... I, I've seen. I I know what Bill Finger looks like, um, but I I I don't know what he looks like. You know, I mean, especially later on in life, because he kind of, I guess he was just one of those guys that just. I mean, of course he 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 never got recognition, but he just I don't know he. He wasn't like a Bob Kane type, you know. No, yeah. yeah, definitely not. So, it should be interesting to see.
2: Yeah, and I just hope you know, this gives them even more expo exposure to just casual fans out yeah. there and audiences who you know, are just recognize the trailer showed and I think it was Kevin Smith who said that. I mean, for on all, all the movies all it said Batman created by Bob Kane. That's a lot of the people are just remember or used to seeing Batman being created by Bob Kane. So, we're slowly starting to to see Bill Finger get the recognition he deserves on credits for you know movies, comics, and stuff, but yeah, hopefully this will get people more exposed to his story now and all that he actually did to create a lot of the main stuff of Batman that we know and love today. So, yeah, I can't wait for it, and I just hope a lot of people watch it and just get more familiar with uh, yeah. Bill
1: Finger, because he deserves right. it. Um, so now we can move on to our uh, album reviews. Uh, for this episode, I... Or Tim gave me the Cage the Elephant album. Melophobia is it is that how you pronounce it? Yeah. yeah um, what is that?
2: Which I believe is it's a term for like I don't even know if this is real, yeah. but <laughs> the way the the reason they chose it as a name is like a fear of music. Oh. So <laughs>
1: like the melo. Oh, melody. I see. And then I gave Tim uh, "Open Your Heart" by this band, The Men. Um, so Tim, why don't you go first? And, and let me guess, it was yeah, so. it was too long <laughs> Is that one of you? Well, what you sent me, like the name of the band and the
2: album title I looked it up, I go, oh finally, <laughs> only 10 tracks It's not like a 17, 20 <laughs> track concept <Yeah>. album <laughs> So no, it was not too long Even though there were maybe two songs that were yeah. five or seven minutes you know, That wasn't bad though See, when it's balanced like that, I don't mind, but when you got tons of songs like that and part of it's just two minutes of nothing, then it's like, yeah, I'll right. probably be skipping that. But I have to say, I really like this album. I think this is probably my favorite of the albums you've been wow, listening really? to so far. Oh. Yeah, it's the first one where I actually went back and listened oh, to it wow. again like, <laughs> the day after. So there are some songs that stuck with me. And it has a good rock sound. I have to say... Definitely the first track, uh, Turn It Around, it reminded me of Foo Fighters. Yeah. There's a Foo Fighters sound to it with the music. Even the singing on that track, I felt it reminded me a little bit of Dave Grohl's style. So I was all for that. But there was some good variety to it also. And there's that slower song called Candy that kind of reminded me of like a Tom Petty style, which I'm a huge Tom Petty right. fan, so that was cool. So yeah, I really enjoyed it. It was a short album, uh, the good catchy melodies uh, to the vocals and the music on it was cool. Probably my favorite track is one called uh, "Open Your Heart." Uh, that has my favorite vocal melody on there. That was really good. Turn it around, like I mentioned, was a good opening track with a, a good catchy uh, chorus melody. And then there was some. There was two songs in there that were mostly instrumental. Uh, there was, I think, the fourth track. The fourth track on the album it was instrumental yeah. for like five minutes. and like the last two, there were some vocals on there. But the one before that called "Country Song." That was a country nice song <laughs> music melody. <laughs> that <laughs> yeah, well, it was like, didn't feel yeah. super country, but I just, but I could see why they called it Country Song. It had a nice little catchy guitar riff in there that kind of got stuck in yeah. your head. But then the closing track, I thought, was really good. That probably has my favorite music uh, melody out of out of all the songs on the album. And that was one, too, where it kind of took a while for the vocals to start coming in. But musically, it was just a good like hard rock song. And then when the vocals came in, that had a good melody to it, too. So, it was a good way to close out the album with the memorable track, so yeah, I really dug this one. I'll probably give it four oh, wow. out of five definitely wow. one you gave me
1: but but yeah i mean the the men are i don't know they're they're just like a weird, weird band because you you kind of heard it on this album where they they have i mean they're they're a punk band right and but then they mm, yeah they they have these country songs that aren't really country songs. You know, it's yeah. it's kind of a weird, a weird mix of the two, I guess.
2: Um, yeah, and they blend them together really nicely. That's yeah, and I, I think
1: liked, the, the the follow the the follow up to this album was an EP. It's either um, the next album or the the album after that, after this one. Um, it's an EP of just Americana songs. It's a it's an like huh. acoustic Americana song, so. Yeah, they're just one of those weird bands, and I thought I thought that you would like this one too. <laughs> so I'm glad I was right.
2: Yeah, I might want to check out some of their other stuff.
1: Yeah, too. I mean, I mean, like everything before uh, this album, "Open Your Heart," is a little more um, noise rock kind of kind of music, but everything after that okay. is is more of uh, what they did on "Open Your Heart." Um. Gotcha. So, uh, Melophobia, Tim by Cage the Elephant. No, I had heard some Cage the Elephant songs. Um I can't remember what that first one was. Um their big hit well, their
2: breakout hit was called like, Yeah, right, right, right. Like, yeah,
1: right, Um I remember hearing that one and then on this album the uh the song Come a Little Closer and uh that last one I f- totally forget its name. Uh, Cigarette, Cigarette Dreams. Dreams. So I had heard some Cage the Elephant, and coming into this album, I kind of knew what I was going to get, and Tim, now I, I have to ask you, is this one of your favorite albums?
2: It's not one of my favorite albums yeah. of all time, but it's probably one of my favorite albums over the last, maybe, came out in 2013, okay. so over the last few years it's been, I really enjoyed it. Definitely my favorite album of theirs. Okay,
1: Tim. <laughs> Um I, I hate to tell you this to him, but I didn't like it. Yeah. <laughs> um, just going off of my notes, which um, are just little short sen- uh, sentences that don't really make any sense. But um, <laughs> uh, my first note is uh, pop nothingness. I mean, it was just – yeah, I mean, it, it sounded like a um, – well, I guess I can get into my next one. It's it's Cookie Cutter. It's, you know, you know what you're going to get because they never really changed anything up uh, throughout the album. Um,
2: oh, wow. See, so, yeah, I have the exact opposite yeah, I mean, it, it, opinion on that. Wow. I, I
1: feel, I, or I felt like I heard this album before and I've never listened to Cage the Elephant uh, or a Cage the Elephant album before. Um, uh, it was... Formulaic and uh, boarding on a ripoff of uh, the Beatles is my next note. It it just sounded like um, mm-hmm. something like uh, Rubber Soul or um, you know around that era when they started to come into their own. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, the the
2: see that's kind of the reason why I really like it. To me, I right. it does have that feel of like a sixties album, which I like. But again, I. Feel for me anyway, I felt they kind of made it their own where it just wasn't an exact rip-off of those, like you mentioned the Beatles, I think it yeah. does have a Beatles feel but it doesn't actually, you know, just rip off melodies and music style, it just has that feel it could be from that. Yeah, era. you
1: see I like I said, I don't, I don't really think that they were um, necessarily ripping off the Beatles, I mean, it, it, they definitely sound like it, but I think it's more of they're, they're trying to they're trying to cookie cutter it you know like I said um, and that's okay if you want to do that but you have to bring something new to it and I felt that they they didn't even try to bring something new to it I mean they tried it with the saxophone they tried it with the 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 fuzzy uh, vocals and stuff but it, it it just didn't really have that okay this is unique this is this is what makes Cage the Elephant Cage the Elephant and not a Beatles cover band you know the there just wasn't that spark. Um, I felt that that was missing in this entire album. Um, uh, my next note is uh, the singer needs to stop it with the high-pitched singing voice. Uh, he, he has a really good voice. It's just he <laughs> sings in a, such a high register that it's it sounds floaty. It's that high-pitched, floaty sort of vocal that um, I, I just didn't like.
2: Um, you know, that I could definitely see the you know, some that's not gonna be for everybody. Even for me sometimes when I hear it it's like eh, that's probably like the best uh yeah route to go <laughs> with the vocals so but for the most part I enjoy his voice. Like you said he does have a good voice but sometimes it can be you know Yeah, so
1: I mean much. he so I he, does um, he does have a good voice. Um like on the song uh Hypocrite. I thought uh Hypocrite was the best song on this album. I i really like that song. Um uh Take Your Leave it I also like that one. Um uh, but like the, the 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 worst song has to be um. Teeth. <laughs> See, that one
2: I will agree with you. That's definitely my least yeah, favorite it's, track on the album.
1: Sometimes it's I it's way it, so. too long. <laughs> um, it's not like I said, it's not very um creative. It's just more of the same uh, Beatles sound. I mean, they try. And I, I think the what makes Teeth not good is that they tried to do something different, and it just wasn't clicking. I mean, they they try. I mean, they tried, but it just didn't work. Um, but thankful. Uh, but but I am thankful for uh, the last song, which is uh, "Cigarette Dreams," because after Teeth, w- with that sort of, you know, th- that sort of trying to be original and then um having that sort of pretentious monologue in there uh to close out that song I mean it's it it, it has that sound where it I mean especially towards the end where it it uh, sounds like it's going to end but it's a false ending and it just it keeps on going and going and going and then there's there, there's some kind of monologue uh I think I think is the lead singer trying to uh, recite poetry in, in in a song and it's, it's just so pretentious and bad and um, yeah i know what they were trying to do they're trying to make it you know artsy but it just wasn't clicking and it's okay to be artsy and it, it you know if if you want to bring in poetry you want to write your own poetry that's fine but you know it has to be something relevant it can't just be nonsense um and that's what that sort of sounded like. It just sounded like nonsense. Like a poet that, or a person that wants to be a poet that doesn't know how to write poetry. That's what it sounded like. Um, uh, teeth is, uh, you know, it. this is going off my notes. It's uh, very paint by numbers. It reminded me of pain, uh, paint by numbers kind of thing. Um, it's fake attitude uh, uh, with even faker intention. Uh, fake attitude, meaning they were trying to, you know, look all cool, uh, especially with that monologue, and they're trying to look all artsy, but it just wasn't hitting, Um, just doesn't work. Um, And of course, uh, no need for a monologue. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, But thankfully, um, they close out the album with Cigarette Dreams, which is uh, probably the second best song on the album. I really like that song. I've heard it before. Um, I just yeah. didn't know that it was by Cage the Elephant <laughs> so I was like, oh, I've heard this song before I didn't know this was Cage uh, the Elephant um, so yeah, that that was a nice you know, pop song to close out the album that I thought uh, really, it really it, it really defines who Cage um, the Elephant is they're not this sort of artsy kind of band they can't really pull off you know, something like what the men pull off with the, with the country songs or what Titus Andronicus can, can pull off with the um with the Civil War themes uh they're just uh they're they excel at these pop songs you know Come A Little Closer is a good song so a cigarette dream so is that other one the um uh their first big hit uh yeah you no Rest Universal. For The Wicked and I think they have another one on their new album that was kind of a big hit um so, yeah, I, I think that's what they excel at. They excel at the, the Billboard charts. Um, you know, they, they should just stick to that. And I'm sure, like, if, if they stick to that and then, you know, they release an album of songs like that, I think that I would like that album uh, because, you know, songs like Come A Little Closer, it, looks, it sounds like they put a lot of thought into that. It sounds like they put... A, a lot of thought into uh, cigarette dreams and a hypocrite and, um, ain't no rest for the wicked. Whereas teeth, it, it sounds like they just had a bunch of ideas. That they decided to throw into the song thinking that, you know, it would be a good song and it ends up being the worst song on the album. Um, so I, I think cage the elephant overall and this album, uh, would have benefited from just having these come a little closer songs, uh, "Cigarette Dreams," rather than trying to do something that was new to them. Uh, they 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 write good pop songs. I, I'm not gonna lie, and uh, "Come a Little Closer," "Cigarette Dreams," th- those are the good songs on this album. So, uh, I'm probably gonna give this a. A one and a half out of five, Tim. Uh, wow. Cigarette Dreams was good. Come a little closer. Hypocrite. Uh, I even like Take It or Leave It. Um, see, that's
2: four uh, songs out of <laughs> ten. <laughs> if you just, see, like, if Teeth wasn't on there, I think you
1: like, uh, the, <laughs> the fourth song, I can't remember. I, I think it's the fourth song with the uh, female vocal. Yeah. Um, uh-huh. It was an okay album. It wasn't a good album. It wasn't a great album. That's why. So, you know what? I'm going to give it a two. I'm going to give it a two out of five. Because, um, <laughs> that sounds yeah, better. <laughs> uh, th- there were songs on there and I feel like, uh, Cage the Elephant should just try to stick with they s- stick to what they know and build from there rather than try something new. Um, like teeth. <laughs> so, yeah.
2: Yeah. Well, uh, I I, always i agree with everything you said about teeth but i'm glad there was still some other songs you enjoyed on there but i just love like i said that has that 60s Beatles era feel to it i just like again variety is a big thing for me there are some good uh you know fast tempoed songs like rock song like uh, Spiderhead, the the leadoff track and like i said uh, the four track it's just forever with the female vocalist mixed in there and then you got the slower songs like cigarette dreams and then telescope and then Kind of the ones in between, like take it or leave it, and then Halo is probably my favorite track off the album. So I just love the variety in there, and yeah. So I kind of <laughs> gave it a shot for you, though. too about every song. Yeah, I mean,
1: it, <laughs> it, it, it just didn't connect with me. And um, if it does for you, then I mean, that that's great because I don't know. It's it's sort of the uh, they they tried to not copy, but they tried to emulate, uh, the Beatles, and that's okay, I mean, that's fine, there, there's, there's bands that do that great, and I think the problem with Cage the Elephant and, uh, Melophobia is they just tried to emulate the Beatles, they didn't try to do anything new for me, um, they, they just didn't try to do anything new with it, or, bring their own flavor to that sort of sound it was just rubber soul and i've heard rubber soul and i've heard all of the beatles records so you know
2: (laughs) yeah yeah i I texted you before like i've been like a real buddy holly kick lately like, are you, are you a fan of Buddy Holly? Like, do you are familiar with most of the stuff? You said, yeah.
1: I actually, would have actually would have preferred the, <laughs> the the Buddy Holly over uh, KGL fan. <laughs> Um But you know, I mean, it's they're they're a good band. Um, they're definitely a good band. Uh, although they kind of need to cool it on that sort of uh, retro fuzzy sound, you know, um, of the fuzzy amplifier. And you know the the fuzzy microphone. I think they need to cool it a little bit on that. And um the the lead singer just needs to sing it as his natural singing voice. And I mean they they are a good band, and I do like some of their songs. Um, uh, you know, "Rest for the Wicked" and "Come a Little Closer" and stuff. But uh, this just this album just didn't really connect with me. It's it's sort of a. I mean, I know. I've said, or, or I, I just said, they it, it kind of sound like the Beatles, but it kind of sounds like a whole combination of 70s music, you know, 60s, 70s music. Mm-hmm. And it just doesn't connect, you know. It's like uh, garage rock, um, not really punk, but more like that garage rock sound. I, I, and I don't know if they're a garage rock band, uh, but. Yeah, it just didn't really connect with me. It it was just too many ideas, and they sounded like the Beatles.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Ah, well, we're (laughs) opposite ends on this
1: uh, episode for our album review. Would you (laughs) give it a five out of five, Tim?
2: (laughs) Uh, I would give it a five because, like I said, I I do not like teeth, so I'd probably give it like four or four. four Okay.
1: (laughs) Um,. So yeah, uh, now we can read uh, uh, Alex's email, and Alex says, uh, "Hey Mark Tiber, oh, let's cut to the chase. There was a <laughs> <laughs> there was a Chuck Dixon Bane comic series preview, and you ignored it for that Tom King writer. Was there?
2: I saw it in the yeah. latest issues of these comics I picked up for this week. Again, I was." I didn't get my detective until this week, also. So I just noticed it
1: <laughs> this week. So that's why I. Didn't oh, get I see. Uh, he says, "Bah!" Anyone who enjoys Tom King's Batman must have it rough in life. So I will pray for all of you out there, my sweet little lambs of God. I'm kidding. I'm more intrigued by what you said about Superman, though. You should review it. I love. Tim? Mixia's little. lick. Okay.
2: It sounds nothing like
1: it's spelled. Yeah. Spell. That, <laughs> Which is the beauty of his name. That suits to around <laughs> the animated series <laughs> episode is one of the greatest episodes of television I've ever seen. I like it. It is. A good I like one. it, and the Justice League Flash and the Substance episode. Wally West is the best. More than any episode of Batman the animated series. Oh, Tim. Except for I'm the Knight. Mm. And perchance, the dream. Because they're so fun.
2: They're definitely one of the best, but I don't know if they're better than any Batman oh. series episode. Can't Uh-oh, quite oh, agree Tim. with that. <laughs> <laughs> what does I
1: love? I love the Dark Side episodes because Michael Ironside gave my favorite performance out of anyone in those cartoons. But I think that.
2: Now that. You could argue some episodes being one of the best of the entire DC animated universe. Those are great episodes with Darkseid, and he's right on about Michael Ironside. He is the really? Darkseid yeah. voice. Yeah, so much so I hope they bring him back to do <laughs> voice for the movie.
1: <laughs> but I think that Migzopidelic um, so episode was the best episode in the Superman series. And yes, I like Superman when he's written well. Just like I like Batman when he's written well. I wouldn't have kept bring him, bringing him up if I didn't. And I think he, he has the greatest villain. I like Bane as an anti-hero, like in Vengeance of Bane, Vengeance of Bane 2, Bane of the Demon, and Batman Bane. As actual villains, Lex Luthor in that DC animated universe is my favorite villain, even though Darkseid is the coolest. Um, my favorite scene of those cartoons is still the Batman Ace scene. I could write a ton of pages why I like Batman, but all one has to do is watch that scene to know what Batman meant to me as a kid.
2: Oh yeah, that's still one of the best Batman animated or just Batman moments ever. And I sent the tweet out a few days ago, where or it might have been last week, where this great artist rendition of that moment. It was uh, the Holy Batcast podcast sent out a tweet of that image. Um, It was by. Uh, on twitter at raymond lee color it's just a beautiful image of batman holding ace in that you know garden area that she created is holding her body as he takes her out it's just done in you know realistic art style that would just capture that moment beautifully so definitely check that out like alex said one of the best moments in that piece of art captured it so i should i tweeted out about on april 14th so if you just look on our Twitter page and scroll down a little bit to
1: April fourteenth. You'll see the retweet of that. It's really, really. Cool. And you know, I have to admit something. them I haven't watched. I mean, speaking of Superman, I haven't watched it a lot of uh, Smallville. Right. I mean, just an uh-huh. episode here and there, and you know, I never really got into it. Of course, <laughs> uh, but I think that they had the best uh lex Luthor, whoever that guy is he did a really good job yeah he I did really a really good job as yeah. that. yeah he was great um mm. but anyway uh chuck dixon bane deserves at least a four hour discussion though uh boy oh boy between that your podcast lego batman logan and dragon ball super reviews 27 has to be the best year of entertainment since 1994 I'm in, fourth pi- I'm in fourth place to get Lego Batman at my library, so I'll get to see it quicker than usual. Usually the weights are huge. I had 51, per- 51 people ahead of me when I reserved the big short. Wow. Really? <laughs> no, that's a lot, man. <laughs> that's a great one. I just got silence from my library, and with uh, that one, only eight were ahead, so I have to jump on them quick. Anyways, I was totally wrong about not liking new metal, because I do like some Korn. Uh, Dane, you almost had a... What were you going to say, Tim?
2: No, I was just going to say, yeah, Corn is a band that I can't say I listen to their, like, all their albums, but they do have some songs I do like. It's one of those bands where it's like a pick and choose of the songs that I really like. I don't they they,
1: yeah, aren't they have, like music. really bass heavy? Like, they have like that... Some songs, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Dane you almost had a reason to like new metal because I started listening to the first Korn album after many years and I almost stopped writing in after I started remembering a lot of crazy stuff when I listened to it their, uh, their first album is my, was my favorite album and I still remember every single lyric my favorite thing to wear was a, blank, a a black tank top because of Bane but then I had a dual purpose because the lead singer of Korn uh, Jonathan Davis also wore a black tank top I wanted to get an eyebrow piercing because of him, but then I wouldn't be able to get a job, and I was never, ever going to be a no-good hippie. I I used to be into other dark music, but I don't listen to it anymore. I used to be into dark stuff, and the attraction to everything is still there. That's why I won't see Netflix Punisher, even though I like that character. It's why I loved it. I loved it when Batman refuses to use a gun no matter what, because I'm just like him, and I guess I love myself. Ironically, I used to have OCD about the craziest uh, to keep myself in check where i punished punish myself. I just got rid of a big one, which I've been doing for over 20 years. I hope your cleanliness ha- habit doesn't go, get too bad, Tim, because my hands would be uh, bloody for years for how much I wash them. Tim?
2: Yeah, <laughs> we all have our struggles, that's for sure, though, as much as we try to be good and positive. There's gonna, we're all going to have those moments where, you know, we let ourselves down at moments also that we just got to learn to, as Alfred says, pick ourselves up right. <laughs> once we fall down. But, um, yeah, I'm glad you listened to that Korn album, Alex. Like, a little worried when you said there that it almost stopped sending us emails because of that. I hate for start losing your contributions to the podcast just because of a Korn album. But, but you like the music, which is cool, but don't let it stop you from yeah. writing into us.
1: <laughs> I know my emails are pretty whack, but growing up, I always felt like Batman was the only character who I clicked with. No, ma- No other character lived with such self-control that I was aware of. And since I never trusted anyone and always had contingency plans, Batman was relatable on that end. So what I'm trying to say is don't mess with me. <laughs> I'm kidding. And I'm sorry, everyone, when I say I don't like this or I'm only doing this. That's because I like so many things, but that's how I keep myself in check. It's a flawed system, but I'm changing it. Well, if you don't like something, Alex? You don't like it. I mean, there's nothing... I mean, I, I don't like uh, Batman versus Superman, but Tim sees the good in it, right? Um,
2: yeah, Dane didn't like Cage the caged yeah. now, but we're still doing this
1: podcast. Oh no, I thought this was—I <laughs> I thought you didn't like me now, Tim, because I didn't like.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm gonna fake for the rest of the episode, pretending that you know we're having good, honest yeah. discussions.
1: <laughs> no, but if you don't like something, Alex, you don't have to apologize for it. Exactly. <laughs> I mean. I don't like the way Tim talks.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I don't like that either, so (laughs) we're in agreement on
1: that one. Um, Let's see, where was I? Uh, It's a new challenge, and I love challenges. That's how I related to Goku. And I think he has more willpower than Batman, which were big appealing aspects of Batman and Bane to me. And there's a lot about that character I relate to more than I do with Batman. He's a very flawed character, but he uplifts everyone he comes in contact with, and I hope to be like that. He always, he's always joyful about everything, and I'm working really hard to be like that.
2: Yeah, but there's a character that you want, to, a fictional character that, uh, that you would look for for inspiring people and being so positive all the time. It's definitely Goku, <laughs> sometimes to a fall.
1: <laughs> what about um, that purple guy?
2: purple guy the there's a big like chunky one called Majibu. Oh, he was a villain he was he's a, he's a kind of pink purple then there's there's a new character who's like a purple cat from who's like a, a and, god but he's a god of destruction so he's oh. not gonna be very uh, and who's
1: funny, the again. um bald guy Krillin, Crem- the Krillin. Short, little bald guy oh. yeah I didn't know that was his name
2: Any Dragon Ball character questions? Just ask me, Dane. I'll I'll inform you.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I don't have any. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But as always, Alex has questions, right? Um, So uh, his first question is, what fictional character do you think your personality is most like? I asked you about superheroes, but now you can pick from anything.
2: This is a tough one, because something you might think that there's a personality that you think is like you others might not think so and they have other ideas of what your personality is like it's almost like you should ask someone else <laughs> to yeah. ask you, but, um, I don't know I like well here's the thing I'd like to think my personality is kind of was like Obi-Wan in Star Wars where some kind of you know keeps an even keel keeps things cool doesn't get too you know uh, heated or you know too you know almost to a point where it's you know, just these almost too campy or cheesy type thing where you try to just be good about everything. Kind of in the middle. But someone who knows, you know, he's regarded as one of the best characters in Star Wars, one of the best Jedi, but he really wasn't brought up that way as far as, you know, he's never expected to be that. And he has his flaws too. So I just kind of like the, almost like the middle ground that Obi Wan has. He's not really the best, but he's able to do the job uh, that he's supposed to do and, you know, to do it well also so and he's able to you know keep things balanced and cool as far as personality wise and when situations get bad so like kind of like to at least i try to emulate myself to be kind of like that kind of be the calming presence where <laughs> when things kind of go wrong so it's not it's, it's easier to say than done there's or it's easier to say than actually do it but it's something i try to bring my personality or it's like liking it to it a little bit so i don't know if i'm succeeding in a good job but that's what i like to do yeah. It's hard yeah, to say I, uh,
1: <laughs> I don't know Tim What fictional character do you think My personal Personality is most like Probably
2: <laughs> <laughs> uh see now See I, answered I You Let's got answered <laughs> uh,
1: Probably, uh, probably uh, Booster Gold Because it's irrelevant <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> Your personalities are irrelevant. Um,
1: uh, Plastic Man. There we go. <laughs> what else yeah, because you know, Plastic Man, he's not a very super serious kind of person, and I don't think I'm very super serious. Um, at least I don't. I don't think I am, right, Tim? No.
2: Well definitely i record <laughs> this podcast. It's all fun.
1: But... <laughs> yeah, probably plastic man because I don't like to take myself that seriously. Um But you know what we did forget to talk about, Tim? And I can't believe we forgot. Especially you, Tim. Especially you. Do <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? I can
2: only imagine it's some new trailer we got last year. Yes week.
1: it is, Tim. How could we have <laughs> forgotten? <laughs> <laughs>
2: Well, maybe because I almost spent three and a half hours no. talking about it, <laughs> <As> long <laughs> it continues episode. But
1: All right, so so give us the short version of what you think about that trip.
2: Short version, I thought it was great. I think it did what it was supposed to do, get you excited about this next chapter in the Star Wars saga, but not showing everything, and a lot of people were, were well, I shouldn't say a lot of people, I did notice some fans complaining that, oh, they barely showed anything, they didn't show much there was no Chewie were home moment in there, and there was gonna be nothing that tops that for it's a, a teaser. Again, that, was, it's that was a teaser special. Yeah, yeah that's another thing too. But yeah, the images look cool on there. Like seeing Ray training with Luke without shot of her just standing in front of that uh, front of these rocks in front of the water, and then her training with the lightsaber with Luke kind of standing in the background. Some awesome visual shots and seeing a Jedi book. <laughs> I just super excited about learning more. Of the history of the force and the jedi which i think we're gonna get in this movie i can't wait for that but then the big thing it wasn't a visual shot that you know made the trailer it was a line of dialogue that luke said it's time for the jedi to end (laughs) whoa (laughs) i was expecting him to say it's time for the jedi to come back but no he said to end i was like oh man the possibilities of where the story can go with that just has me super excited so yeah i mean I wasn't expecting <laughs> not to like it <laughs> so it definitely lived up to what I was hoping for Get, especially with the new story possibilities with that one line of dialogue so I, it looks awesome and it's story wise it sounds awesome too so I can
1: was that a Jedi book or was that a um, a Rebel Alliance book
2: no it's definitely a Jedi book that's the symbol of the Jedi oh, on there
1: I thought that was the symbol of the, the Rebel Alliance oh no
2: it's oh, a little I see. different you see it a lot in the Clone Wars, like Obi Wan outfit that he wears, he has that on his yeah. shoulder pad.
1: And how come uh, we haven't seen Mark Hamill actually talking? We've only heard his voiceover.
2: Yeah, well, he was in yeah. the shadows on that last shot. <laughs> I know they're still going to drag that out as long as they could, I guess, to actually see
1: Like Skywalker I said, on. Tim, or like I asked, and I'm, I'm not sure if you um, answered this on the. Uh, the saga, saga Continues podcast, but how much of this are we actually going to see in the movie? I know. Well, we did Oh, question, oh okay. I got <laughs> to listen to three hours <laughs> so, of Tim talking. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> well,
2: it's not just me. We had uh, Jason from The
1: Oh, okay, on, good. So so, so, so that makes up for about. you then. <laughs> <No. Yeah. laughs> but uh, that is a valid yeah. question. We, we've had too many examples
2: of these last two Star Wars movies of stuff and trailers not being a movie, so as much as I hate to say it, yes, that is a valid <laughs> concern to have.
1: <laughs> Uh-oh. Uh-oh. I mean...
2: But not only the trailer, how awesome was that?
1: Oh, yeah. That, it, that a has to be the top three, I'd say, Star Wars posters.
2: Yeah. It's definitely yeah. one of his best. And what's also great about it is all the different, you know, parody versions yeah. that are coming out. There's a great one of Batman the With
1: Harley experience. and Bottom. <laughs> so Like,
2: Yeah, with Joker and Batman <laughs> split between the lightsaber. <laughs> it looks so cool.
1: Um, but anyway, uh, yeah.
2: So, so yeah, it was a great weekend last uh, week for Star Wars with Celebration and all the cool trailers and stuff we got. So yeah, I'm giddy.
1: <laughs> right, another cool shot was the uh, X-Wings uh, sk- skimming the surface of that planet with the
2: Oh, they oh, weren't? X-Wings, though.
1: Oh, I thought they were.
2: mm They, they kind of look more like yeah. B-Wings, but a little different, so it could
1: be Oh, yeah, probably. Yeah, that that was just a cool effect. I'm sure it's not going to be in the movie, but uh, <laughs> when they're skimming the surface of that planet and it's like a uh, salt flat and it looks white on top, but in the back it's all red. I so thought that was pretty cool.
2: Yeah.
1: And and what's going on with uh, Finn? Is he Is he going to be, you know...
2: He'll definitely be out of that uh, tube (laughs) in the movie, but I guess he's definitely going to start there. Oh, well.
1: Should be good, right? Yeah. (laughs) Oh, yes. Should be more than good. (laughs) Um, But the second question is, uh, what do you you think are the most complex characters in fiction? And please explain your picks.
2: Well, I think the more complex characters are almost like one uh, that comes to my mind first right away is Anakin slash Darth Vader the one who you know yeah. both good fall fall from grace go to the dark side like he did and find redemption those are the stories that I find or characters I think are most complex because it's the conflict that must be going through his mind especially when he's Darth Vader by the time he reveals that he's Luke's father and even Luke calls him out on it in Jedi saying you know I can feel the conflict right. within you and that. Do you think about the history that Anakin had, being the Jedi that he was, that we got to experience in the Clone Wars, and then seeing him fall? He he's done it. He fell to the dark side in a way that he was trying to save the one he loved. So it was from kind of a noble purpose, but he went about it the wrong the wrong way, obviously. So stuff like that makes I think for some complex characters, and you just get so engrossed in their history and their actions and everything that they do. And I think Anakin's last Darth Vader uh, defines that perfectly.
1: See that's funny, Tim, because I was I was gonna say uh, Luke because he has the potential to be a very complicated character, especially in this new movie that's coming up. Um, because the last time we saw him uh, before, you know, Episode Seven was he he was all about the Jedi uh, becoming a Jedi, and he he had essentially become a Jedi. Uh, so. Yeah, with this trailer, like I, I, I don't really, I don't really know what's going on. Like, what happened?
2: I know yeah. that's the big mystery, which has me <laughs> super excited. <laughs> but you're right, yeah. Depending on what Luke does, he can become one right. of those complex
1: characters. Uh, his third question is: What is your favorite episode of any television show?
2: Hmm. So this is either going to be from. Clone Wars or Batman the Animated <laughs> Series, obviously. <laughs> um. See, Robin's Reckoning is my favorite of the original Batman the Animated Series episodes, and you got Over the Edge from the new Batman Adventures, which just blew me away when I first saw it. So, I might have to go with that one. Then, uh, Mortars, the Mortars trilogy and the Clone Wars. <laughs> that blew my mind, too, with some of the stuff they reveal on there. So, but, uh,. So if I have to choose one, I think I'll go back to Robin's Reckoning. Like, God, you've heard me gush about that episode so much on the podcast, I won't repeat it. But again, just perfectly encompassing why that relationship between Batman and Robin, especially Bruce and Dick, is just so, so good and so special. So yeah, I'll go as Robin's Reckoning Part 1.
1: Hey, hmm. this is a hard one, because I am, I am going to go to Clone yeah. Wars. Um, of course, there's the Mortis uh, Trilogy, Uh, heroes on both sides which is didn't really get a lot of good reviews uh, but I thought it was a really good um, really good episode Uh, hmm ah Tim (laughs) I don't know what you're (laughs) trying to say see it's hard
2: Uh, this is one of those emails where Alex is stumping us <laughs> <on> these questions <laughs> this is a good I guess
1: so um, you know what I'm probably going to go with the Mortis trilogy um, just all this one it's such yeah. a great yeah it's a great
2: story <laughs> it's just great Star Wars period regardless of it if
1: you're history. casually interested in Star Wars at all definitely watch uh, the Mortis trilogy because it'll mm. it'll make you fall in love with the entire Star Wars uh, franchise. <laughs> yeah.
2: It'll make you want to watch the whole Clone <laughs> Wars series. <so. laughs>
1: um, his fourth question is, what characters do you think have the most willpower?
2: Well, I was easily going to say Hal Jordan, because he, obviously he's the greatest Green Lantern in my opinion, but Alex did bring up a good one with Goku as far as him having the strongest willpower. Is The situations he is, in to defeat some of the most powerful beings in the galaxy, and he always has the will to keep going and to eventually beat him, or at least you know come to a stalemate. So but that's a good choice too. But just to be different, I'll go with Hal Jordan.
1: This one is easy. Um, Qui Gon, because he wasn't on the the, the console, the yeah, Jedi console, because he um, yeah he didn't really believe in uh, or he 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 wasn't re- willing to let go of his beliefs. Um, to join the Jedi Council.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. Like Obi Wan said, yeah, he could easily be on there, <laughs> but because of his beliefs. He um,
1: Alex ends his email by saying, "Take care, everyone. Thank you, Jordan, for answering my questions. Your enthusiasm is awesome. Keep it up, bro. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, thank you, Alex, for your email. Um, uh, so now we can move on to Jordan's email.
2: And Jordan says, "Hey, Tim and Dane and Alex." Since I already gave my opinion on last episode's future topic in my previous email, I'm going to start out with my thoughts on Alex's questions. For my favorite indicator of evil, for my favorite indicator of evil in a character, I'm not quite sure. That's a really good question. I know it's not exactly what you're asking, but my favorite types of villains are number one, villains with deep ties to particular heroes' past, um, an example Hush with regards to Batman, and two, villains where you can understand their logic even if you disagree with it. Uh, an example both villains in the just finished Justice League arc, Timeless. As a Green Arrow fan, I've got to disagree with Alex about a goatee as an indicator for evil lol. I guess that while I'm not sure if it's my favorite indicator of evil, I agree with Dane in that many times I appreciate it when there is, when there is no indicator. That makes me want to bring up what Tim was talking about last episode in regards to Arrow Season 5, so spoilers for that. Adrian slash Prometheus is a perfect example of a villain where there is no indicator that they're evil. He spent the vast majority of the beginning of Season 5 seemingly helping Oliver, and it made the reveal of his true nature that much more shocking, on top of the fact that in the comics, Adrian is actually vigilante. I'm someone who actually really enjoyed the third and fourth season of Vero, but to anyone who didn't, and maybe dropped the show at some point, Season 5 has been superb, and I recommend you get back into the show. Yes, I can definitely, definitely testify to that. I'm not a big fan of Season 3 and 4, but Season 5 has been awesome. And the trailer we just got for the remaining episodes looks like it's going to end with a bang. So I'm hopeful (laughs) that Arrow continues on his hot streak that has been on this season. But Jordan continues saying, Prometheus has been an incredible villain. Josh Seguera, the actor who plays him, has done a fantastic job making you despise him. The show is back to more grounded stuff it was doing in season one and season two. There are some great new characters on Team Arrow, and the flashbacks have been really exciting. I just watched the Sizzle reel for the last five episodes of the season, and it looks like the end of the season is going to be just as strong, if not stronger. I completely lost it watching the scissor reel, lol, and here's a theory. I'm not sure Prometheus actually is the big bad of the season. I think there's a chance that Talia will wind up being the true final challenge for Green Arrow this season. She was Prometheus' mentor, after all, so she sort of has a superiority over him, and she also just has as much reason to want revenge on Green Arrow since he killed Ra's. Just a theory. Season 6 looks to continue the trend of excellence as well. I'm very excited about Katie Cassidy, Rick Gonzalez, and Juliana Harkavy all being series regulars next season. I'm kind of on the opposite of that, Jordan, as far as Talia being the main villain. If they did that, to me, it'd be a little too similar to Dark Knight Rises and Arrows, I was taken enough <laughs> from the Noah trilogy, so if they could stay away on that run, I think it'd be better for it. Because so. Prometheus is fine on his own. Just have Talia be the one who trained him and that's all. But he continues saying, Anyway, now that I'm done rambling about Arrow, I want to answer another one of Alex's questions. What are my top five animated characters? I'm sorry, but I had to cheat. Like, big time. This question was awesome and so much fun to think about, but I couldn't narrow it down to five. I also couldn't quite order them. Well, Batman's at the top, but after that it gets a lot more difficult. And trust me, I tried really hard. I thought about differentiating different versions of the same character. I could do it by voice actor... An example kevin conroy's batman reno romero's batman bruce greenwood's batman or by universe like batman from the dcau batman from uh, the batman or batman from young justice i realized that you guys sort of did the latter but i differentiated them in another way then my list would wind up up or if i differentiated them in another way then my list would wind up being mo- almost entirely made up of different versions of batman so i decided that each character would just take up one spot and if multiple versions of the character exist in animation, I'd include a couple of favorites in parentheses, By universe, not by voice actor. I did ten, and like I said, they're not entirely in order. So if that wasn't too confusing, here it goes. Batman, Bruce Wayne, in The Batman, the DCAU, Young Justice. Green Arrow, slash Oliver Queen, from Young Justice, the DCAU, and The Batman. Black Canary, the Dinah Lance, from Young Justice, and the DCAU. The Phantasm, slash Andrea Beaumont, from the DCAU. The Joker, the DCAU, and The Dark Knight Returns. Batgirl slash Barbara Gordon from the DCAU and The Batman. Batman slash Terry McGinnis from uh, DCAU. Catwoman slash Selina Kyle from The Batman, the DCAU. Glenn Quagmire from Family Guy. And Michelangelo from the 2003 TMNT series. Yeah, I'm <laughs> right with you there, Jordan, on all those picks of being super tough to come up with. <laughs> I mean, I, we need... I, I would need a lot more time than just reading the email the day of. <laughs> so, uh, I was like, got to do it on the spot. It was still tough, but I, I probably probably re rank certain ones or put different ones on there if I had more time to think about it. Kind of like how your list was because there's just so many great animated characters. And good spot in putting Michelangelo in there. The 2003 series is one of the more underrated Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle adaptions, but it's really good. So glad to see you put that one on there. And he continues saying, all right, now to talk about the masterpiece that was Batman number 20. Spoilers, what a finale it was to the IM Am Bane arc The whole arc has been phenomenal to this point and I was very pleased with how well it sticks its landing the final, versus the, Batman, the final Batman versus Bane fight is absolutely brutal I love how Batman brings up that he always hears villains say they're going to kill him and yet he's still here Of course it's true and it really goes to show how much perseverance Batman has which foreshadows the end of the fight I was a little bit confused about two things in the issue so I was hoping you could maybe explain them for me First off Throughout the fight, we get flashbacks of things that happened in previous issues of Tom King's run. However, one of the flashbacks shows Gotham and Gotham Girl confronting the Joker, and we didn't see that happen before. Was that basically just showing that it did happen, and we simply didn't see it initially? Or is there some other way that we're supposed to interpret that? Well, the way I interpreted it when I read it, I thought it was you know the possibility of what could happen as the narration was going on if uh, Gotham and Gotham Girl... Uh, none of the stuff with Psycho Pirate happened. They stayed on the course and were superheroes of Gotham. They eventually would take down the Joker probably once and for all. So that's kind of what I got of that sequence. Kind of a what-if scenario if everything went right with those two characters. And Jordan continues with, I know you weren't a big uh, fan of the letters in the I Am Suicide are that were uh, interspersed through two of the issues, but I loved them. And I loved the narration by Martha Wayne in Batman number 20, which felt very similar to me in how it was done. I honestly couldn't figure out who it was until it was revealed towards the end of the issue, so that was an amazing surprise. I love the way Martha described Gotham Girl as Batman's way to win his war on crime once and for all. Bruce denies that that was the reason that he helped Gotham Girl, and I believe him. I agree with you, Tim. The way Bruce explains that he simply helped Gotham Girl because she needed help gets right to the essence of who he is. However, I do think that even though he would have helped anyway, he did see Gotham Girl as someone who could do what he couldn't do and succeed him as Gotham's protector. Yeah, I agree with that also too, Jordan. But again, the way that Batman said he'd help her no matter what is still, I think, the best way for that story arc to end and I'm glad Tom King put that in there because that's what Batman would do no matter what. And he goes on to say, anyway, when Bane pounded Batman's head into the wall and yelled, I am Bane, I was legitimately scared. Like, especially because in Batman number 5, Gotham Girl hinted at Batman's death. Now, if I had been thinking ahead, I would have known it wasn't going to happen here since the button is coming up, but I was so caught up in that issue, I didn't even think about that. Of course, like I said earlier, Batman's perseverance is pretty much unrivaled. So Batman has that amazing pump your fist moment when he says, I think you forgot, I'm Batman, and he knocks Bane in the head. It was awesome. Man, did Bane have it coming after all he's done in this arc. I'll also mention that we sort of got an explanation as to what happened when Bane hung the robins in the Batcave. Apparently Bane didn't actually pull on them once he hung them, so they didn't die. The scene where Bruce gets to speak with his mother was so touching. This brings up the other question I had for you. I wasn't sure how to interpret how he was able to see her, so I was hoping you might have an idea. The scene reminded me of one of my favorite scenes from the Plast TV show, where Barry gets to see his mother again in the Speed Force. Anyway, I love that scene, and I couldn't help but cry at the end when she told Bruce that he doesn't need a good death for her to be proud of him. That obviously gives Bruce some closure, and it puts a bow on a lot of things that happened in Tom King's run to this point. Bruce had been doubting whether his parents would be proud of him throughout the run. When he was trying to save the plane of Batman number 1, Batman asks Alfred if his parents would be proud and if, he would be, if it would be a good death. Then in I Am Suicide, he speculates that his parents would be laughing at him if they saw what he was doing. Yeah, unfortunately, two of my least favorite moments of Tom King's Batman run. But yeah, I, it was good that it ended that way. But I would still prefer it if they weren't in any of his uh, stories at all. It just took something away from Batman. I think he would have realized that by now. But still, I digress. It was it ended in a great way but he says also in I Am Suicide Bane brings up the point of Batman does the same thing Bane does in that he seeks out monsters so that he can die in the hands of one of them rather than take his own life these questions and doubts that were brought up in the previous arcs have been resolved so beautifully with just one line of Martha reassuring Bruce that she is proud of him Alex have you been reading King's Batman run knowing how big of a Bane fan you are I have a feeling you'd love this anyway as I mentioned we've got the button coming up next as of my writing this, Batman 21 has actually been released. I read the preview pages a couple of days ago before it was released, but because I saved most of my anticipated comics of the week for last, and this most certainly is, I haven't gotten a chance to read it yet. The preview left me speechless, though, in a good way. Can't wait to read it, hear your thoughts on it, and give my thoughts on it in my next email. Well, Jordan, I don't think you're going to be disappointed with it, <laughs> as uh, I'll get into it in my review. But as far as uh, your question about uh, Bruce uh, talking with Martha and how to interpret that, uh, the way I looked at it is was almost kind of those out-of-body experiences that Bruce was having just for being so beat up. He was so close to death, and you just know how sometimes where maybe it could be the end of you, and your mind just kind of goes off thinking about things. I just felt it was you know, something that was playing out in his head and getting that reassurance that he knew was there, but kind of finally accepting it. So I just kind of took it on the... As uh, something as that frame, because he can't do what uh, Flash did, like you mentioned, just going to the Speed Force and seeing his mother. It kind of had to be something that was all in Bruce's head, so that's how I pictured that happening. And then Jordan continues saying, I'm not reading Batman slash Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle adventures, but I definitely plan on picking it up in the trade form. I did read the first Batman TMNT crossover miniseries, and I loved it. This one seems like it could be even better, given that it features the DCAU Batman. One thing that caught my attention in Tim's review of it last episode, it's so cool that they're explaining the origin of Scarecrow's revamped the new Batman Adventures costume. That's my favorite scarecrow costume as well, and it's so cool that 20 years after the series premiered, they're able to give us information like how and when he designed it. It reminds me of something else I heard very recently. I was watching a video from the Watchtower Database YouTube channel. There's a plug for them, lol. They make awesome videos, mostly looking back at the DCAU. And they said that an issue of the Batman Adventures tie-in comics suggests that the reason Poison Ivy has a drastically redesigned appearance in the new Batman Adventures is because that the series she is actually just a plant clone of the original Poison Ivy from Batman the Animated Series. Maybe you guys read the Batman Adventures issue and knew this but I didn't. So my mind was completely blown. Yeah, like said this before too, those Batman Adventure comics I definitely gotta go back and read all of them because I didn't know that either about Poison Ivy and know there are certain things like that probably laid out about a bunch of those issues so I definitely gotta make sure I do that and yeah Jordan I think you will enjoy this Batman TMNT Adventure crossover too, I don't think it was quite as good as the first one but it is still just as fun so uh, can't wait for you to check out the trade, I think you'll enjoy it and Jordan continues with a couple of questions, his first one is What are your 5 favorite versions of Batman in any medium? I don't just mean different portrayals of Batman himself specifically, but also the world around him and his supporting characters. So perhaps it would be better to say, what are your 5 favorite versions of the Batman universe in any medium? For me it's... Number 5, Batman in the DCAU. Batman Mask of the Phantasm is my all time favorite Batman movie. Kevin Conway and Mark Hamill deliver the most iconic voice performances ever as Batman and the Joker respectively. It features my favorite version of the Bat Family, and Batman Beyond is one of the coolest concepts ever introduced in the Batman mythology. Number 4, Batman in The Batman. Along with the Dark Knight trilogy, this was the version of Batman that made me a die-hard Batman fan. I watched the series religiously as a kid. It presents a great version of Batman at the beginning of his career, at the start of the series, and as the series progresses, you see his relationship with the GCPD change, him being joined by each member of the Bat Family, and him finally becoming a member of the Justice League. While the series as a whole isn't the quality of the DCAU shows, season 4 is phenomenal and definitely matches that quality in my opinion. Number 3. Batman in the Telltale series. There better be more of this version of Batman. The Telltale series presents a very grounded take on Batman, my preference, and it puts some brilliant new spins on classic characters. What they did with Vicky Vale is a stroke of genius, and the new take on Penguin is very inspired. Harvey Dent's downfall packs a huge emotional punch. There are a ton of amazing Bat-cat moments, and it features my all-time favorite Batmobile. It's suspenseful, compelling, and allowed me the unbelievable experience of feeling as if I were Batman like never before. Number two, Tom King's run on Batman and Rebirth. I waited until King had enough issues under his belt for me to feel comfortable saying this, but yeah, this run has earned its place this high on my list at this point. I've loved every single one of his arcs so far. With that one exception of Night of the Men, which I thought was just okay, but perhaps it shouldn't even count since it was part of a big crossover. And he's written my single favorite issue of Batman ever, issue 14, the first issue of Rooftops. In Rooftops, he delivered the single greatest Bat-Cat story ever, in my opinion, and he really showcased the love that the two characters have for each other, despite their differences. In I Am Gotham, King introduced two awesome new characters in the Batman mythology was Gotham and Gotham Girl, and in I Am Suicide, and I Am Bane delivered one of the best Batman stories ever told and number one batman and the dark knight trilogy along with the animated series the batman this was the other thing that made me a die-hard batman fan i got to grow up with these films as they released when i was six nine and thirteen years old respectively it is a grounded take on the character which i love and it takes some of the best parts of some of the best batman comics and weaves them together into a compelling story with a beginning middle and end to stretch over three movies christian bale's performance as batman and Bruce, Wayne's w- and Bruce Wayne was incredible, and the ro- movies really do a great job showing us the ens- essence of who Bruce is as a character. Heath Ledger delivered an unparalleled performance as the Joker, and Anne Hathaway's Catwoman was incredible as well. Of course, I can't neglect to mention the supporting cast members like Gary Oldman, Michael Caine, and Morgan Freeman, and I loved the relationships each one of them had with Batman and or Bruce. It also features my favorite live-action version of the Bat-Cat relationship, although Batman Returns is, pretty, is a pretty close second. I love that Christopher Nolan gives Bruce a happy ending. That's something I don't remember ever happening before. And it is so satisfying to see my favorite fictional character of all time to get that kind of ending. So yeah, this was another tough choice (laughs) to come up with my favorite uh, universes of Batman. But I did narrow it down. And for me, number five would be Batman the Brave and the Bold. I know it's a more lighter take on Batman, but... I think that's the best version of a lighter take Batman you're going to get, because Batman himself is still pretty serious, but not as serious as others, but the characters around him is just, you know, more goofy, like Aquaman and Plastic Man, I know, Dane's favorite. (laughs) But then, at the same time, you get some really good serious stories, like The Chill of the Night, which recounts the Wayne murders, and uh, it's one of my favorite Batman animated uh, episodes ever, of anything, so... I thought, for the most part, it was silly, but a new one to enter and put some of that more serious stuff in there, so I'll go with Brave and the Bold for number five. Number four, I'm going to go with the Arkham Games. I have to give the Telltale series a little more uh, time to reach up there, because Arkham Games has four uh, versions, or four stories to go from, with a lot more characters, So, but the Telltale series is on its way, but right now I'm going to go with the Arkham Games, especially how it wrapped up Uh, the Batman and Joker story what they did with Arkham Knight with the Joker and Batman I thought was brilliant so that would be my number four pick number three I'm going to go with uh, the Dark Knight trilogy the best live-action Batman uh, story we've gotten so far Uh, like you mentioned Jordan the cast was perfect it was a great story that had a beginning middle and end and just great takes on characters that were more in a realistic tone so yeah that's definitely going to be in my top five and it sits at number three Number two, I'm going to go with uh, from the comics uh, stories. I mean, it's not going to be a huge surprise, Nightfall, <laughs> what was done in that story arc to get me really invested into Batman, especially in comics like never before. And so many characters were uh, not necessarily introduced to, but reading in comics and being exposed to them in comics for the first time with so many different villains that it had in there. So it was great. And then number one... Shocker here, Batman: The Animated Series—the best version of Batman that there will ever be for me. So, yeah, just everything about it, all the characters, story, and what it's set up for the greater DCAU—it's not going to get better than that for me. So, yeah, those are my top five.
1: What about you? Uh, five is definitely the the Arkham Games. Um, just as, I mean, they they just wrote their story so well, and I don't I don't think any. Video game is going to be as good as that uh, that series was. Uh, not the suit though. I didn't like the suit, but I I did like. <laughs> At least we got some different Yeah, I, I, I did like the uh, the storytelling in all of them. Uh, number four, uh, probably, uh, probably the. Scott Snyder, Dick Grayson, Batman. Um, it's not really Bruce, but I just, yeah, I just so like Batman. the way he writes Batman. <laughs> Number three, uh, probably Batman from uh, No Man's Land. I just love that Batman. I, I I like the way he was drawn, and I mean, if you haven't read No Man's Land, go read it. Uh, it's a great story. Number two. What should my number two be, Tim? Or, you know what, this is my last one. And, of course, it's going to be uh, the animated series Batman. Because that's the first time I remember uh, uh, seeing Batman, uh, period. So, probably uh, the animated series Batman. Yeah,
2: I was going to say, if. Batman the anime series not your number one. It better be your number two. <laughs>
1: or you know what, uh, I, I will give a number two. My number two is uh, um probably the the Michael Keaton Batman's because that was wow, over yeah in the Dark Knight trilogy only. Wow. It, I mean the storytelling wasn't better. The the movies weren't better, but I just re- remember uh, that Batman. So probably that. <laughs> okay. Yeah.
2: Nothing wrong with that. And Jordan's second question is, did you guys see the trailer for the Krypton TV series? And if so, what did you think? I thought it looked pretty cool. The style of the planet looks gorgeous. There are some exciting action scenes in the trailer. It looks like it will mostly center around Kal-El's grandfather, which will be interesting to see. I really like the line from the trailer about how the story of the Kryptonians isn't how they died, but how they lived. I couldn't get it verbatim, since the trailer has since been taken down from the internet. I think the series is really going to dive deep into what Krypton, or Kryptonian society was like, and that could be fascinating. One thing I wanted to gauge your opinions on is if you think this series will be set in the DCEU. David S. Gore once said in an interview that Krypton takes place 200 years before the opening of Man of Steel. For a long time, I had only ever read the, that quote about that, and based on that, I took it as confirmation that the series would be DCEU canon. However I just watched the interview myself and the way he says it makes it sound like he was just using Man of Steel as a reference point to explain what the series takes place. One thing is in the trailer though that does make me think the show could be set in the DCEU is that there is something that looks a lot like the House of L command key from Man of Steel. I feel like that would be very easy for them to set the show in the DCEU because they wouldn't have to worry about continuity issues that much. As long as nothing happens that would make it impossible for the events at the beginning of Steel to take place, they could pretty much do whatever they want. Whether or not it is set in the DCEU, I'm very excited for Krypton. The number of DC live-action TV shows we have right now is amazing, and between this and Black Lightning, it looks like it's hopefully only going to keep growing. <laughs> yeah, there seems to be no stopping that. It might become a problem with keeping up with all these shows. <laughs> we'll see if it ever gets to that point. But As regards to Krypton... This wasn't really on my radar. I've heard about it, but you know it's been a while since we've heard anything. So when this trailer got leaked, I didn't know it was leaked at first. I thought it was just re-leaked, but I did see it, and I agree. It did look pretty cool, a lot better than I was expecting. The Krypton looks pretty awesome, and the budget on it seems pretty good, at least for this uh, premiere episode. It looked really, really cool. And yeah, I agree, too, where it looks like it could be set in the DCEU, because Krypton did look a lot like how it did in Man of Steel. And you brought out the main thing with that uh, the key that they used to... that has the House of L symbol on there that they used to activate the computers and all that. And just the architectural of some of the buildings and the interiors, it did have that very of quality to it. So I'm kind of hoping it is. I mean, why not? It's that 200 years before the events of... I mean, we don't know if that's still the case right now, but if that was the plan, why not still just go for it? I don't think it can affect the main canon of the DCEU that much. So I say... Go for it, and have it be set in the right. EU. so yeah, I think it looks pretty cool, and I'll probably check it out once it premieres because at first I was like, uh, i don't know if this is you know something that needs to be done. <laughs> there's other d c properties that can make better t v shows, but the trailer kind of got me sold on it, so mostly we'll
1: uh, for me I can't say I'm really interested, but uh if i I think you have to stay away from certain things uh first don't have a Superman-like character uh, a Kal-El a Clark can um, hmm. if it's set 200 years before uh, number two don't do the villain of the week thing like uh, Gotham did <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, I guess number three would be uh, hmm. what would number three be?
2: Hey, if you don't have it that's good <laughs> that means there's not that much stuff more to
1: work I guess for. yeah you're you're probably right uh just just don't do the villain of the week and don't have a Clark Kent type character oh and and, and don't don't have you know like uh a, a villain that Superman you know yeah a superman villain in the show it's uh, yeah. <laughs> it's, not, it's not gonna work like oh you know we're gonna have Mitchell or whatever his name is here, even though it's two hundred years.
2: Well, he actually could work though. Him being from the fifth dimension, and I don't think he ever. At least I don't know what his exact age is, but I have a feeling he's a character that could exist for yeah. a
1: long time. So I think that could. Actually oh, and work. don't <laughs> have generals on in the show at all. I mean, I don't know how they would do yeah, that, that's... but just don't have him in the show.
2: Yeah, not <laughs> when it's <laughs> that far back.
1: So, so yeah, I mean,
2: and who knows if it is still going to take place yeah. two hundred years because based on what Jordan said that was from an interview that David Goyer said like a while ago so who knows what might have changed since then yeah. So, but we'll see but that's it from Jordan so as always thanks for letting us know your thoughts Jordan on the, all the Batman stuff going on the past two weeks and sending in your questions so and thanks to both of you guys for sending an email for this episode as always it's much appreciated
1: definitely so now we can move into our comic book reviews and like we say at the beginning of every single comic book review section Tim If you haven't read your books, uh, pause this episode right now, go read your books, and then unpause this episode, because we are going to uh, spoil these issues, right, Tim? Oh, yes. (laughs) (laughs) And of course, everybody knows our rating scale by now, which is uh, Unknown Player from the Oakland A's roster. And uh, for this episode, we are going to be reviewing Detective Comics number 954, and Batman number nine, uh, nine, nine twenty one, <laughs> Batman number twenty one. Uh, but before we get into uh, those books, um, I do have to say, Tim, I I have been reading Batwoman. Um, there has only been two issues or three, technically issues. Um, but the the two uh issues with the actual story uh, that they're going to be telling, Tim.
2: I don't like that sigh. <laughs> uh,
1: unfortunately, they are not what I was expecting. It's it's uh. <laughs> it's all right. The stories are all right. Uh, it's it's um, it recalls Kate's lost year where she uh, kind of you know wasn't her best, and they try to pull from that, and it just seems so. Um, what's the word I'm looking for, to? Coincidental. Coincidental. Yeah. yeah oh, okay. Where she she's looking for this uh these people and it ends up being people from her her past. And the the thing I'm comparing it to, and it's not very fair, is uh the new fifty two Battle with J. H. Will Wh- I mean not J. H. Williams, uh Hidden Blackman uh and yeah, uh J. H. Williams. Uh, and it's not very fair because the way they told their story was they had enough in one issue to leave you satisfied, but they told the story throughout, I mean, their first story lasted like 20, 22 issues, right? It was an entire story that had a beginning, middle and end, and a bunch of villains. And this one seems to be on a smaller scale where it's more like a, it's more like a three issue story kind of thing. And I just don't like it. Um I just don't know if I like that storytelling format where it's a smaller, more condensed story. Um, it's it's on a smaller scale, like I said, it doesn't really have that epic feeling where it it, it has a lot of backstory, it has all this sort of Batwoman mythology tied into it. Uh it doesn't rush um, it doesn't rush anything. Where you know, Kate's in Gotham one moment, and she's an like a faraway place in another. You know, it it doesn't really have that. I mean, it, it 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 just doesn't have that sort of you know. This is unique. This is Batwoman. This is what it should be. It's more like what happened when. Hayden Blackman and J.H. Williams were taken off the book, where it's just more regular comic stories. And I don't know if I really like that. Um, so it hasn't really been that great for me.
2: Well, that's too bad. You think you, How long do you think you're going to stick with I'm gonna it?
1: I'm going to give it another two, three issues. I'm a, or at least I'm going to wait for this story to be, in, to, to be done. And I'll see where we're at there. Um, and another thing is the art. And I know... Nobody can really compare uh, to J. H. Williams and his panel layouts and the way he draws, uh, but it's not very well done. Um, and I don't know if it's just me having a lot of thoughts. I mean uh, I mean a lot of uh, expectations for the book, but I think if you're going to follow up uh, you know J. H. Williams and Hayden Blackman and Greg Rucker. I think you have to do something a little more what's the word, Tim? A little more unique, right? Then just have have it be a regular story. I mean if you're into, you know, Batman or you're into detective comics or I'm not sure what they're doing in the Superman books or Green Lantern books, but if you're into that sort of just regular here's our story kind of thing, then uh, this is going to be a good book, and I would highly recommend it to you. But uh, as a Batwoman thing, and coming from the Batman New 50, Batwoman New Fifty Two, and Elegy and all that stuff, it's not very. It, it just doesn't. Have, it just doesn't have that unique feeling to it, and I think that's what it's missing most of all. It's it's not really the story. I think the storytelling is good. Uh, but it just doesn't have.
2: It's almost like you're just used to so many, like, like you said, unique and just powerful stories. Right. In the past right. That you felt a new Batwoman title should live up to. Right.
1: I mean, it's, it, it's like thinking of the Immortus trilogy, right? <laughs> in, in Clone Wars. Uh-huh. Right. You, you, you have this great storytelling, great animation, um, great voice, voice acting. Uh, it, it ties everything together with the, the sort of Jedi and everything. And then you have the droid stuff, right? The droid arcs, <laughs> and it's not the greatest thing seeing uh, C three PO and R two on doing whatever, right? It, it's going to, yeah. I mean, it's <laughs> it's kind of like that, but uh, the storytelling is a little better. Is 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 better? And it's it's not a it, it's it's not a a criticism of. James Tinian and uh uh Margaret Bennett right it's it, it it just doesn't have that sort of uh, uniqueness and i kind of feel i kind of feel let down in a sense you know it's it's not it's not really what i expected and i i, I don't want to be you know, I I, I don't wanna to be too harsh on it because it is it is a good passable story, but it's just not what I expected as a Batwoman fan. So I'm gonna give it to the end of this this arc and we'll see where where they're at then.
2: That's always the best way to judge some. Like let the first arc yeah. in and then see, you know, if you wanna continue after that. Right. And well, oh, start. Sorry, here, Danny. Still haven't gotten the Batwoman
1: book. That yeah, long the previous ones. But you know uh, so Alfred's uh, it his niece is in is uh, is yeah, oh, Julia. Julia. yeah Julia. It's, yeah, it's his daughter. daughter. <laughs> oh, I didn't even know yeah. that. Is his uh, is Kate's Alfred? So that's pretty cool. Okay. I, 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 th- I, th- I thought I thought that was a cool uh, sort of. Uh, aspect to that book so uh it, it does have its positives but i just I, I just expected something more and this is the first arc but and, and, and i mean i think it it is something different but it just doesn't have that uniqueness like i said so uh i'm gonna give it to to, to the end of this arc but anyway uh detective comics or, or uh tim why don't you talk about batman number 21 first
2: Actually, I want to say Batman number oh, 21.
1: okay. <laughs> All right, so uh, Detective Comics number 954.
2: Yeah. So this one, I got to say, is a, kind of a step back from this League of the Shadows arc, which I felt really got going in the last two issues. But this one is mainly about, because there was a cliffhanger where Ra's al Ghul infiltrated the Batcave, and it starts off right from there where Batman's trying to take on Ra's, asking him you know, where the captive members of his teams are. But uh, Ra's has other plans. Uh, for Batman and, and first off I guess I'll start with the art real quick I wasn't a big fan of the artwork on this issue and it just oh just the art visual style of it wasn't for me it was a lot different than what we've gotten in the previous detective comics issue so that was a little off-putting to me it wasn't like horrible but different enough that kind of took me out of it a little bit but um there's a few story points in this issue that I didn't really like uh, the main one were you know, throughout this whole story, Batman's been saying or thought the League of Shadows were just a myth, and Raich was the one that told him that. Like, but it turns out, Batman did actually encounter the League of Shadows over the course of his career as Batman, and Raish pretty much just you know memory wiped him. Then we get flashbacks to some of those iconic moments in Batman's history where he taked on took on the League of Shadows, but was quickly erased by Ra's al Ghul and kind of made him believe that oh, it was just a bedtime story that you would just dismiss, and that's what I had to do to, you know, kind of keep them hidden from you because the League of the Shadows is kind of a splintered off from the League of Assassins. There are separate, like, secret organized group that have to do, you know, the hard missions and the stuff that uh, Raish really couldn't use to become, you know, in with some of the other rulers of the world to kind of have, like, this secret... Uh, shadow organization to like do his dirty work more so than the league of assassins would do so he put lady shiva in in charge of that and kept him secret and when batman would encounter them he'd wipe his memory and to a point where he thought they were just a myth and a legend i thought that was kind of weak i mean just to do another batman mind wipe thing that was already done in uh, identity crisis i don't know if he had to revisit that story aspect i mean it was great in identity crisis but to come back and have it for something this for the League of Shadows that's you know not too different from the League of Assassins. I'm still kind of wondering if it's really worth it to have these groups be separate. I mean we'll see where the story ends up, but kind of just wonder if it should have been you know something totally different where like a rival to Rachel Gould's League of Shadows than just have it be like a splintered off uh, group that's in charge by Lady Shiva. just like her organization that she built up from scratch to rival the League of Shadows or the League of Assassins, I think that could have been cool, but I don't know. That whole story revealed just didn't quite work for me. Then the other part of the issue was that um, uh, Batwoman's dad is, uh, you know, he saw her get stabbed right in front of him in his prison cell, and then uh, he was—he got rescued by uh, the other members of, uh, of the colony to break him out. And that, uh, that rival of Tim Drake's at one point, that kind of tech kid that they have, uh, he was there to like bust him out into the, Get everything ready for their assault on the League of Shadows. So they're out there, and the League of Shadows is kind of formulating into the Batcave because it turns out while Batman was questioning Rache, uh Raish kind of makes kind of only tricks him into agreeing with him where he needs him to take down the League of Shadows. Uh, but uh, once Batman releases him from uh, the cage that he had of him, the electrified cage that he trapped him in the Batcave, Raish turns on him right away. Gases him and knocks him out, and then the League of Shadows infiltrates uh, the Bat Cave uh, with Lady Shiva, or Lady Shiva, I should say. And kind of Raish made a deal with her if she delivered Batman, you know, uh, they could uh, be, you know, be their, finish their transactions, so to speak, where they made a deal with each other. So that was Raish's uh, whole thing with this, just to get the League of Shadows into the Bat Cave. And then uh, the way the issue ends, where it looks like there's going to be a big assault on the League of Shadows by a, a Batwoman's dad, Colonel Kane. and But somewhere else, like in the sewers of Gotham, that's where they're going to make their assault. But Orphan like surprises a big group of League of Assassins, which was cool. I mean, we see her take them all down, and the final page is her, you know, her sword's all bloody. She has a throwing star on her shoulder. But last we saw her, she was knocked out by Lady Shiva, so I'm curious to see what happens to her, if she's you know working with someone else now she's on her own i just don't see how she got away from lady shiva but then she's attacking uh shiva's men also so it should be interesting to say where that goes but it was a cool entrance for orphans so yeah this issue was kind of disappointing but the art and the story reveals uh, i'm just going to go ahead and give it two and a half out of five uh oakland a's players who are unknown <laughs> that
1: are on their roster yeah and i'm gonna have to agree with you tim i uh i thought the last issue was really really good um 953 uh this one like you said i think my biggest criticism of this one is how race kind of uh erases batman's memory i just don't i don't believe that <laughs> it's it's yeah like what's the purpose yeah of like what's either? the purpose if he if he erases memories but he he still gets these memories, and every time he does what th- th- he gets his memory erased again
2: well yeah then like the last time the only way to make him finally like not have to do it over and over again is just to have him believe it's just you know a fairy tale or a myth, like use some type of magic on it. Yeah. I remember right where, you know, that's what he's going to believe now instead of just totally wiping it from his memory.
1: Yeah. And, and, and the, another thing too, is I don't like how, I, I think you were kind of hitting on this, Tim, but I don't, I don't really like how they, at the end, um, uh, Colonel Kane gets released from that jail cell thing. And he joins up with his his group again, and, or his his uh, his guys again, and he's gonna help Batman. I just, I just, I kind of don't like where this this story is going. I, I liked it when it was uh, Cassandra and Shiva and her backstory, uh, Cassandra's backstory, and how the story is gonna be about her. And I I I did like that that moment in the beginning where uh Cassandra's thinking about her past and um Clayface gives her the the Shakespeare book and mm-hmm. talks about why he likes it. I I thought that was a great moment and I don't like how
2: Yeah, this issue had none of that type of moments in there. Yeah, <laughs> the
1: yeah. And I I, I kind of don't like how um oh, so, so sorry, was that from the the last issue? Oh, sorry, yeah. My bad. Uh <laughs> Yeah I, ju- I just Cuz Cassandra came yeah, at the yeah. very end like I said Right right first, yeah. I, I just want it to be about her rather than bringing in all these people yeah, bringing in Raish, bringing in you know Colonel Kane and I, I, I just want it to be about her and I think that's what we're going to get in this uh this next issue Um So yeah, I'm 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 probably going <laughs> to give this a a 2 out of 5 yeah, not, not a two and a half out of five. So, a two out of five um, <laughs> Oakland A's players that I don't know who they are. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a lot coming from Oakland A's <laughs> <20s> fans.
2: <laughs> but Batman number 21, I'll just say right off the bat, this is going to be the complete opposite of what I felt on Detective Comics. <laughs> I loved this issue. This is one that had a lot of hype going into it. And I don't know. Definitely, I was buying into the hype as well. I mean, that right when I read Rebirth, I think I said, I can't wait to see a Flash Batman team up, let's get more stories of them teaming up. And this is the start of it. And while they haven't teamed up yet, I'm excited for where, what's going to come. It starts off in a weird way where you see this uh, hockey game about to start between Gotham and Metropolis, and you get uh, some inmates of Arkham about to watch in it, and one of the inmates there. They're just saying, you know, they gotta stop. They gotta stop. So someone's gonna die. It's like Superman's not gonna be able to stop it. And I'm trying to see if it was gonna foreshadow any- anything and, you know, what was gonna come for that. But then we go to the Batcave where Batman has that game on on one of his many monitors, but he's there looking at the button, the Watchmen button that he found in Rebirth. And he's just, you know, flipping it over as he watches that hockey game and a fight breaks out between the two, these two players. And one of them goes way overboard and ends up uh, killing the other player as it's revealed later on. But once that's over, Batman takes the coin and just puts it right next to the Psycho Pirate helmet or the mask and it triggers this burst of electronic energy that comes out of it and it hits Batman. And once it hits him, he sees the Thomas Wayne Batman from Flashpoint and Batman just looks at him and just goes, Like father and he just goes, Bruce And then but he quickly like it's almost like it was an admiration and it just fades away. And then Bruce immediately calls Barry Who's has his own problems taking on the army of samurai? Right? And Batman asks him if he can come to the back gate because the button did something. And Flash tells him, "Yeah, he'll be there in a minute." But once Bruce thinks he's there, he's goes, "Oh, you just said a minute, but you're, here you are." He realizes it's not Barry; it's Ibarthon, Reverse Flashed, and it's the one from you know who died in Flashpoint that Thomas Wayne killed. And you know, Ibar is calling Batman out of that and there is this great moment here where you know you just saw batman seeing thomas wayne his father and make immediately takes you back to that note and that letter that was written all the way back from when the new 52 started and we finally get a glimpse of a little bit of what was written in there not everything but uh eobard Thawne picks it up and you know he's kind of mocking thomas wayne's like it's thinking you know you know it's like so this is what you did after you killed me you think you could you know this is your way of connecting with your son and he's just like mocking him as he's reading it and then he just tears it up and there's the look on batman's face he just screams no and he's all he's all bloodied up batman because they had a little encounter where zoom or not zoom uh reverse flash is just pounding batman batman can't keep up with his speed and that was the final straw batman seeing him rip up that note like batman just like tells him get out of my cave <laughs> and he you know Batman's no dummy, as we all know. He knows how, you know, the Flash's powers and the speed speed force works because reverse Flash is, you know, phasing in and out, you know, moving at so fast speed that Batman can't touch him. But Batman tells him, you know, you you can't use your blur powers uh, unless something solid is touching the ground. So he stabs a -a battering through his foot and just nails him to the the floor of the Batcave, and Batman just starts pounding him and starts wailing on him with blow after blow but Eobard's able to break out and punches Batman into the Batcave but you know Eobard can't really phase through anymore where Batman can have a little more even fight with him and they come to blows and just another brutal fight that Batman goes through between this and his fight with Bane. Batman's been through a lot recently but I think this one might be even worse because Batman just looks so messed up and he keeps telling Eobard you know I don't have to beat you I just have to stall you for a few more seconds because that's when Barry's going to arrive. But Barry, as it usually is, is too late in these moments. Zoom, or I keep calling him Zoom. I, I know I shouldn't, but Reverse Flash delivers this one big final punch into Batman and just knocks him out. And he notices the Watchman button on there. And, you know, he, he just asks, he picks it up, he goes, like, what's the mystery with you? He picks it up and this big blue light absorbs him and he's not there in the back of it anymore. But then he comes back and he's just, you know, melting away. He's, there's this blue flame around him. He just goes, God, I saw God. And he just, you know, his body almost disintegrates where his skin and all his flesh is gone. You just see a pile of bones in the re, in the reverse Flash costume. So I think it's pretty obvious to know that he encountered Dr. Manhattan <laughs> with this. And we know the powers that Dr. Manhattan has. And it looks like Eobard, Eobard cannot sustain that encounter. So that's when Barry arrives in the back he he tells, like he bursts in talking to Bruce over like, sorry I'm late I thought maybe I could f- stop uh, that fight in the hockey game from going out of control but I was too late that's where he learned that one of the players died and he just as he says too late, that's where the issue ends where you see the bones of Eobar Thon next to Batman's body which is really beat up so this is a lot of cool setup here for what's to come with that you know, the comedian's button <laughs> from Watchmen and uh, looks like the confrontation Eobard Thawne had with Dr. Manhattan it sucks that he's taken off the board already I thought it was cool that he was back from being killed in Flashpoint but looks <laughs> like he's not going to last that long but I just love this issue as far as the cool action with the fight between Batman and Eobard but also the significance of it and the emotional aspect of it once he ripped up that letter we knew how important that was to Bruce since the New 52 and then to see him go after Eobard after that was just really really cool so I love this issue. The art was great on it. Just everything clicked for me in this one. Action, story, some emotional moments, and then, you know, just setting up for what's to come with the mystery of the button. So I loved it. I'm going to give it five out of five Oakland A players that I don't know who are on their roster. It was just a really, really cool issue.
1: So I guess I should start reading Batman then. again. <laughs> okay.
2: Yeah, start off with the Iron Bane yeah. story arc, and then just continue on from there because it was—it's pretty much been very consistent. And yeah, now that I think of it, these are two issues back to back of Batman. I give wow. it five out of five, so <laughs> I should say something.
1: Um, yeah, so I guess that's it for for this episode, right, Tim?
2: Yeah, I, f- I feel kind of dumb because we should be reviewing All Star Batman, but. I'm sure this happens to you, Dane. You go to your comic shop. You haven't been there in like two weeks. You got a bunch of books. Then when you come home, you realize one issue wasn't in your pull list uh-huh. that you didn't forgot uh-huh. to take from the shelves. And uh-huh. our Batman was that for me. So
1: oh well. N- next episode, right? All right. Yeah. Uh, so just go over to the BatmanUniverse.net, facebookcom universe, Twitter handles at Batman Universe, shows Twitter handles at Bad Podcast tim's twitter handles at tim g311 i'll say it since i didn't really like the <laughs> the album that you recommended um and or you told me to review and uh my twitter handles at dane says banana uh you can email the show at badfanswithoutpants at gmail.com and rating and reviews on itunes so with that like we say at the end of every single episode tim what do we say We love you with all our hearts, despite the siren. Yeah, despite the (laughs) sign went on in the background. So with that, we'll see you guys next time.